0: faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctored, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic.
1: The the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different right no no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith in other words that salvation
0: was salvation was the same for abraham as it is for us right August 5th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 309. Officially part of the Kraken Crew. I'm proud of it. My name is Caleb Haig.
1: Is that what they call? It's the Kraken Crew?
0: That's what we call it.
1: Drinking ice water from one of these straw-free cups to save the turtles. Although it spills over me every time I drink it. I'm Rob Vanoff.
0: I love how your introductions are usually just something that you are doing at your desk at the time cuz you haven't put any thought into it. <laughs> I live in the now. I live in the moment. Ah, man. Uh, yeah. I live in the now, man. Seattle Cracking Baby. <laughs> Seattle Cracking. Get
1: cracking. Let's get cracking.
0: Cracking crew. Uh Squid Squad. That's another one. The Squid Squad. The Squid Squad. Uh you know. The uh our opponents I'm sure will call us crackheads. That's fine. Nice. I don't care. It's fine. Um, you know, it is what it is.
1: You can um, embrace that one.
0: Oh, there's like, a lot of need, people.
1: Th- do they have those foam like Kraken heads
0: that people will wear? Dude, the the merchandise is off the chain. You know, we don't talk about we don't talk about politics and we don't talk about sports on this show. However, that's about to change. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the The Seattle Kraken have beaten the franchise expansion record for merchandise sold. By the previous, uh, the previous record holders were the Vegas Knights. We have outsold them four times over. Four times. So you know, it is what it is. Okay. What up, everybody? How's it going? Welcome to the show, especially those in the uh, chat room. Here are our associate and executive producers. Thank you so much to them for helping produce this show. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. We have put an extra video in the Messiah Matters More section, so go check that out. Uh, and you can also support this show for as little as $5 a month and then have access to that page, Messiah Matters More. And uh, yeah, see all of our fun. Extra videos, which are never published anywhere else. Mm-hmm. All right. We've had a lot of response from from our show last week, and I think that we what we need to do, and by the way, if you want to respond, you can do so. Our comment line is 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. If we made it into a jingle, people would really remember it. You can also shoot us email, dot com. Um, And you can leave comments on um, on our YouTube videos. That's how we get a lot of our comments. A lot of response from last week. Let's talk about it. Basically what happened last week is this. We talked about a book called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Now, what this person, Bates, argues is that the word pistis, which is the Greek word translated in your English Bibles as faith, should probably, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, should actually be translated allegiance. Now, this is nothing new. Bates is not the one who actually came up with this. All he did was choose the word allegiance instead of faithfulness because people like N.T. Wright, among others, has already argued that the word pistis should be, in many cases, translated faithfulness, not faith. And so, salvation would be by faithfulness alone. Now, what... Bates did, which is innovative, is he just switched the word to allegiance. This actually fits very well into the biblical narrative of the kingdom of God, first of all, and second of all, of Yeshua being the great king. (coughs) Pardon me. And so if we are thinking in terms of kingdom and the great king, who is Yeshua, then all of a sudden the idea that the word pistis would actually be uh, translated allegiance, which can be proven not only from biblical texts, but also from non-canonical literature. So if we take this into consideration, then all of a sudden, this argument is actually quite strong. It's a strong argument. Well, people have not been too fond of this interpretation. However, before we jump into this, I think that we, there's a couple other things. So we'll leave this for our last segment because we actually do have a lot on this, um, on this argument. So Keep that all in mind. That's a teaser for what we're going to be talking about towards the end of the show, the second half of the show. First, let's go to Christopher. Christopher asks this. He says, when is the next Sabbath year? And should believers who keep Torah try to obey that? This is a question we get a lot. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but the sabbatical year, which is every 70th year. uh, Well, there's
1: the the seventh year and then there's the great, jubilee. Yes. What, there's the ju- okay. yeah,
0: the great jubilee and then there's the seventh year. So, I'm not sure which one he's referring to. I assume he's probably uh, referring to the seventh year itself. And basically, this was supposed to be counted from starting the year that Israel came into the land, right? However, we don't know when that was. So, that's a problem. Um,
1: well, the state of Israel, well, I think the rabbinic leaders in Israel have a They've instituted.
0: And that's the point is that uh, one, right? And and they did their. They instituted it from the time that Israel became a nation. But there's always been Jews in the land. There's been a presence in the land of Israelites, quote unquote, Israelites, pretty much ever since Israel entered the land the first time. So do we stop counting just because Israel was in exile? That's the question, right? Yeah, and then the the other question is 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 it valid that they start counting from the time that Israel becomes a nation? There were farmers in Israel long before that, and and
1: you know what? I that's something I haven't researched. Farmers in Israel what did they do? You know, in the like fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth century. Yeah, I mean, so so I would imagine that uh, once rabbinic authority of, of European Jewish communities started reaffirming the value of moving to the Holy land that they all got on the same page. I mean, I mean, maybe someone knows of a dispute. Oh no, that's the wrong year between rabbinical factions. You know, like some are saying, no, it's this year. And others are saying, no, it's another year.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, think it is disputed an whether or not we know the the true Jubilee year that's, I mean, that's ultimately the issue whether or not we know the true jubilee year. Now, if we want to say that the sabbatical year starts when Israel becomes a nation, okay, fair enough, I guess. That would be up to, I mean, ask your local rabbi, I'm sure is what a lot of people in Israel would say, right? So I'm sure that there are competing ideas, whether or not God sees it as the true sabbatical year or the true you know, jubilee year, that's a completely different thing as well. And so, ultimately, I think the answer is we just don't know when the year is now. Now to the idea of practice: Should we be keeping a sabbatical year? If we're in the land, if 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 Christopher lives in the land, I would say yes. Israel should be trying those who are farming in Israel should try to give the the lands its due rest every seven years, and its uh, jubilee year, right every seventy years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it it's it's more of a it's an effort to remember. I mean, there's no be, because the whole cycle is involves a tithe and involves going to the temple, right? And and it involves the whole nation right. observing uh, the Sabbaths and and so because it's an ongoing exile, it's it's going to be limited. But I think I think it's a a good thing to remember if, you know, if, if that's something you want to do.
0: Here's the thing is the... that is that there's also the idea of what about here in America or right. other places outside of the land? I would say that I don't think it's necessarily a commandment outside of the land. In other words, did people tithe outside of the land? Well, we have provision that if a person's too far away, that they should sell whatever whatever their tithe is, and then use the monetary money, like what they get in money, to purchase whatever they want. And it's interesting because whatever they want is instantly tied to food or drink. And then you shall eat before the Lord, right? Anyway... So there's For that. People who
1: are far off, yeah. Yeah,
0: that could be argued that it's still within the land, but it could also be argue, argued that it's in the diaspora. Here's the other thing, though. I, you, I,
1: my point, I lean that it's only the land only, and this is why, is because in the book of Jeremiah and even at the end of Chronicles when it's talking about the Babylonian exile, it says the land will enjoy her Sabbaths while while Israel's away.
0: I completely agree with you. But here, here here's the other point, is that it says in Deuteronomy, when you are in the land of your enemies... And you keep all of the commandments that are in this, to, in this law today, that I'm giving you today. Then I will bring you back. So obviously you can't keep the commandment of letting the land rest in the, in the diaspora. But the question is, is should we make an effort to practice it in the diaspora? And yeah. ultimately this comes back to ask your local leader. This is one of the reasons that I think that is so vitally important to be in community. You cannot follow, uh, you cannot, the community is what shapes and helps us understand how to keep different laws of, of the Torah. And if you're not in community, then you're basically making it up yourself. The group of people is what helps shape a community's halacha, or the way that they live out the commandments. Right? All right. Let's move on what do we got here you look deep in in study are you I'm, what i you was looking reading? through
1: something in um <laughs> i was looking for something in josephus
0: i'm sorry that i'm so boring that you have to read no no uh, I, I, I was it actually <laughs> applied and, and i'm not finding i'm not finding it
1: so it's not a big deal do I'm you want to scamming. move on or do you want to yeah it. let's 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 move on
0: okay and writes in now this one was really a lot of fun and i have a feeling that uh rob's gonna Rob's going to be very vocal on this one. Okay. Anne writes in, this is a comment on our <laughs> – oh, man, this is so bad. This is a comment on one of our YouTube clips, and it's a clip of us talking about the word angel. This was – was this last week? I think it, this was last week.
1: Or the week before – the last two weeks because, remember, Andre said, hey, right, go right, back and right, right. drill down and – I think we, so we came back
0: and touched on it. We came back and touched on it last week. And I think, I think this is when, and she left the comment after our last video last week. So Anne writes and says, I hope I understand what you are saying regarding the historic use of the word angel as ruler. Note the following. Now she's going to use a quote and Rob, our local investigator, private investigator has found the quote. Well, it's
1: easy to just cut and paste it into Google. And uh, say, I
0: understand that. But then yeah. you did more digging and found the original quote. Hang on, we'll talk about all this yeah, in yeah, this go a second. Ahead. Go so, ahead. Ahead. So, now, so now she's going to actually quote here. She's She doesn't reference. She doesn't tell us who, is tell us who this is. is or why it's important or it gives no uh, credence to whether or not this is even something that we should be quoting from or listening to.
1: Yeah, just a footnote on that, too, is like... <laughs> So those who want to share a quote with us, help us help you, right? Like help us, like make it easier for us to identify the sources by, by providing the citation. It's just good form and it's a good practice to get in the habit of. So if you're going to email us or leave a note, with a quotation, tell it. Please tell us where you got it, and otherwise, we're going to try to find it. We might not be able to find it, and it's then if we just, can't find it, we're not even going to. We feel like if you don't care enough, then we're probably not going to care enough. Well, here's we're the, not going to care more about it than you.
0: Here's the thing: as somebody <laughs> in who's way. in a lot of, you know, who reads a lot of articles and a lot of uh, theological books, in my personal, and maybe this is, maybe I shouldn't feel like this, but when somebody writes something and makes a quote. And doesn't reference where they got the quote from. It tells me that they they don't want us to know where the quote is from, which well, ultimately I, says which ultimately says it's not a reliable quote.
1: It could be that, or it could be laziness. Because remember, Andre called me out on that
0: just the other week, right? Because I
1: it was it was, it Touché, was the, sir. Yeah, it was the and he was right. It was like you know what I was. It was I was responding to a comment in the deal. It was spontaneous, and I couldn't remember. And he's like, "Hey, you need to get give the quote." And so I went back and did it. So, so hey, if I'm not going to hold, you know, we should all. It's just a good habit. It's it's good, and it's good for healthy thinking, right? We want we want to think clearly, and we want to have accuracy, if if possible, and, and precision. And and so, that's all we're asking.
0: Okay, so with that in mind,
1: I'm not asking somebody else to live by a standard that I'm unwilling to. Right. right.
0: With that in mind, let's read the whole okay. thing again. Anne writes in and says, hope I understand what you are saying regarding the historic use of the word angel as ruler. Note the following, quote, the Aruch gives the reason of the name. The Chazan, saith he, is the angel of the church or the public minister, and the Targum renders it as one that oversees, for it is incumbent on him to oversee how the reader reads, and whom he may call out to read in the law. End quote. and goes on, the angel is a type of ruler in the synagogue. End comment. Okay. Hang on just a second now. There's a lot to unpack here, and you probably got lost in the quote. That's totally fine. I'm going to throw this over to Rob. Rob, obliterate this, please.
1: Well, so the first part, she just says, I think I know what you're saying, right? She's She's wondering if this quotation that she shares contributes to our discussion.
0: I don't think that the way that I understand her to be quoting this is that she not only buys into this quote, but she thinks that it holds some weight because she says, I hope I understand what you are saying regarding the historic use of the word angel as ruler. Note the following. In other words, this, this comment should clarify to us what the word angel actually can mean. And then at the end of it, she ends her quote and says, the angel is a type of ruler in the synagogue. So she is bought into this. In other words, she she believes this because of this quote, and and what it what it seems to,
1: what what I did is I googled I just took a certain section of that text that looked distinguishing and I pasted it into Google, and I came up with this book called the or it's called Apostolic Writings of Matith, Mat, Matithya, Netzari Emuna, and the book cover has. Aramaic and which is funny it's from the Elephantine Aramaic papyri so it's from 5th century BC has nothing to do with the gospels it has nothing to do with the bible but it's on the cover and then the lower half is like a picture from like eastern orthodox or you know, middle eastern christianity you know iconography um, and then the inside page says Apostolic reigns of Matith Yah. And then it has a little Paleo-Hebrew word, which I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. And then it says Netzarim, And then it says Luca, which is for Luke, but it's not. It's for Matthew. So I, it, there's a lot of flags here. It says, <laughs> Gee, I, am I, think. <laughs> the, I am the Emes, Ha-Emes, yeah. which is Emet. emet so it's right. Ashkenaz. But if it's Ashkenaz, then it wouldn't be Matith yeah it would be Matisya. so in other words the person is um it's a mix it's a strange mix Uh, i I don't think the person is self-conscious of the contradictions inherent in the effort to produce this commentary on matthew this reminds me uh,
0: this reminds me the at sephir it yeah. is it is a yeah. a lot of wanting to 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 do work without having the uh the skill set, being trained in a skill set to be able to 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 work within this.
1: Well, and then the prayer to our father translating this says translated into first century Aramaic, which I don't know what that means, but it says, Oh thou from whom breath of life comes, who fills all realms of sound, light, and vibration. I I mean, like, what? It's Kabbalistic. Well, it's
0: not even, it's more, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's a want to be Kabbalistic, maybe.
1: But the person presents this book, and the the name of the book, it says Nitzari Emunah, which is not even, that's not even Hebrew. It doesn't make any sense. And the guy, there's a name, and it's, of course, it's a Hebrew name, Yaakov bar Yosef. Well, I'm pretty sure that's not his name. (laughs) Uh, But he's got all manner of books. They've got a Siddur. They've got, oh, he's a Rav. It says Rav. So I would say avoid this, first of all, avoid this. But the reason why I think she's citing him, even because he's citing Lightfoot, he's citing a 17th or 18th century British scholar who's a Christian who studied rabbinics, who published all these commentaries. Um, And so this Bar Yosef is citing him, but not clearly attributing it. And the reason why, you know, because Caleb and I were talking, well, how do we know whether this, the lady who posted on our forum, whether she's quoting this Bar Yaakov guy or whatever, I forgot his name already. Or Yosef, or whether she's citing Lightfoot directly. Lightfoot actually has Hebrew text in his quotation, which I was able to find. And it's not the word angel at all. So he has this, this is, this is what Lightfoot says, the Arukh, the which he's referring to the Shulchan Arukh, gives the reason of the name Chazan but see what it is is shaliach tzipur, shaliach tzipur in Hebrew. Well, neither the lady who posted this citation nor this guy on the commentary in Matthew—it's like they edit out all the Hebrew text, so you just have a continuous English text, and you wouldn't even know that there was ever Hebrew in there in the original because they don't—they don't cite it. Uh, precisely
0: this is a really this is a really good point though and this is a really good conversation to have to, to, to highlight one specific thing and that is one of the things that I don't think that a pastor or a leader or even a uh, you know or a, you know a, a father or anyone in a family necessarily has to go through seminary to be able to study the scriptures obviously uh, people can study the scriptures and and do quite well. However, the point is, is that one of the things that school does do for or at least should do for those who are trying to study the word is give you an understanding of what a good source is and why you would why and how to ask good questions and then also how to pick out why we would why we would use this as a source. In other words, when I when I I don't have to use primary sources when I'm going to quote something, right? And if I'm writing my Acts commentary or whatever, and I find a, a quote from a modern day scholar like a, you know, Daryl Daryl Bach, well, Daryl Bach, I disagree with him on a lot of things, but he's written a very extensive commentary on Acts, and so I can use him as a I can quote him. Uh, Because he's done a lot of work in in the field, that doesn't mean he's necessarily right. But I can quote him. Something like this is ridiculous, because the person who wrote this, you know, who plagiarized, literally plagiarized this quote, and didn't give reference to the 17th century Lightfoot, who uh, who originally said it. Right. They are they're mishandling the quote first of all, because now they've taken, they've edited, they've taken out Hebrew, right. And they they don't know what in the world they're talking about, and so now this other person who is now commenting on our YouTube uh, video is just they're just passing on the problem. The, they're, yeah, they're replicating the. Well, what they've done is they've gone and they've found something that they think sounds really good, and there's not enough ability to discern one way or the other whether or not this is a decent quote or not. They from from their quoting it it's, and their comments around it, it just sounds like they've bought it hook, long, and sinker. And this is a major problem. And this is one of the reasons I think that within the Torah movement you have these different splinter groups that have really gone into some some wackadoo uh, uh, you know, theological stances and they're not helpful uh, at all. If you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. Okay, keep going, Rob. So...
1: So yeah, so what we have then is this issue of citation. Now, to be absolutely fair, two things: one is he does reference, he does have a list at the very one of the initial pages, and Lightfoot is mentioned in a whole stack of lists. But he's he doesn't later on a page like give a this is what I'm citing. Um, And what I don't know is did he did he get Lightfoot's quote from someone else who also who removed the Hebrew? So did he remove it or not? You know, I guess I don't know for sure, but she's replicating a problem, um, and maybe she doesn't know to to research that. But the point is, what Lightfoot put is he says what's called the person was called Shaliach Zibur, and then he translates that the angel of the church. Well, Shaliach does not mean angel; it means more like apostle. Right. It's a it's a it's a sent one. It's one cent. Now, does a shaliach can it be serve as a messenger and be, like reverse translation as malach? You know, maybe. Tzibur is just means the public. That doesn't mean church. Um, and then a chazan hakneset—that's the what he says—the chazan or the bishop of the congregation so and then again shaliach zippur is translated as the angel of the church and then or public minister in quotes or in in brackets the whole point is here you have a a british educated you know this is in the 1700s has limited access to rabbinics and he's trying to make sense of it. He's trying to use rabbinic literature, particularly looks like the Shulchan Aruch, which is composed in 16th century Safed basically, right. and projecting that as, Oh, these rules go all the way back to Yeshua's day and are therefore provide the cultural and, and, and religious ritual context for understanding the scriptures why else would the guy put it in a commentary to matthew right so there's a that's that's just a big problem that's a big problem so um i hope that is it do you say ann i hope i hope she hears this not you know in a, in a constructive way a cite your source b if you're listening to this bar yakov or bar yosef guy i would just say stop i would say yeah, stop that. Don't um
0: yeah, yeah I guess the, I guess fol-
1: that- uh, what I call it this is folk messianism. Folk messianism and and what that do- what that means is this is the same as the et Zephyr like you're saying this is the same as the mats guy messianic olivtov um anybody who does hebrew word pictures or the lunar sabbath people or the th- this is folk messianism, in other words, it's people who have a strong concordance and the internet, and they dive in and they spend a year in their own echo chamber, and then they start writing books and say, you know, and leading other people. Yeah, it, I, I guess so. I guess that the, the, the end all, point, the
0: all the end all point here is that the quote that you have given says nothing to literally speaks nothing into what we are into our conversation right. yeah there's angel.
1: no revel- relevance whatsoever yeah yeah the only the the thread of connection that was imagined was lightfoot's uh translation of shaliach from the shulchan Arukh into angel of the church right it's an equivalency that he's insisting on and then of course whenever you make an equivalency you can imagine all sorts of
0: ramifications. Right. Yeah.
1: But the point is like, which ones of these are profitable and fruitful and which ones are dead ends and, and actually, or even dangerous because they undermine the real, where the real life is, you know?
0: So, okay. Give us a call. six five3205. That's just an answering machine. You can call up and yell at us and tell us how wrong we are or whatever you want to do. Um, You can also shoot us email, chegg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. Okay, let's move on. Um, So as I have already tried to set up at the beginning of the show, last week we talked about this book, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, by Bates. And Stephen and Tracy, they left a comment. And let's start with this, and then we'll go through to Laura and her email. Um, Laura wrote quite a lengthy email, and I don't think we'll be able to uh, touch on the whole thing. I actually only pulled out two two things, three paragraphs, two points. I don't know if you pulled out more. Um, but uh, let's start with Stephen and Tracy. Uh, they wrote in and said, Would not Sola fide, and for those who don't know, this is one of the five solas by faith alone, fall into this as well. The five solas speak nothing about works. How would you reconcile the famed reform stance on this issue? This is a good question. Um, however, I think that there's multiple things going on here. First of all, uh, the the idea of by allegiance alone does not contradict the idea of the five solas. In in other words, what is the they didn't for instance, the five solas did not come about in English. So obviously, it's in Latin. Sola fide is a Latin term. They're using the Latin Vulgate to try to understand and interpret the Bible. And so when they say full Sola Fide, Fide is the translation of this word Pistis. So the real question goes back to what does the word Fide and or Pistis actually mean? And so this would actually work just fine because what we could say is Sola Fide meaning by allegiance alone. Now. What I did, and I will pass this over to you in just a few seconds here, I wanted to look at the idea of, and we've talked on this show before about, you know, the book of James, which uh, Martin Luther said was a uh, right straw-y book. In in, in other words, a book made of straw. Why did he say that? Well, he had a lot of hardship trying to reconcile this idea of faith alone. uh, And then also passages in James, like in James 4, where he says, therefore you know that works save you. Uh, or that works justify you. I, uh, is it save you or justify? I think it's justify, actually. No, well, it's don't, just don't...
1: Justified by
0: yeah, works. Yeah. Um, and so I can, I can so he had a real hard time trying to to reconcile these two uh, passages. Now, I think that what ha- within Scripture, Scripture obviously interprets Scripture, and I think that in Galatians, Paul gives us a very good explanation of this when he references Abraham and the fact that Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And this was before he got circumcised. In other words, faith preceded works. And I would even, it's James two, James two. I'm sorry. I said four. It's James two. Um, And I would even say that we could possibly use the word allegiance here as well. In other words, allegiance precedes works. Uh, Abraham gave his allegiance, gave his faith, put his, placed his faith in the coming seed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This was before he, any works happened. Now, how we see this played out within Reformed theology is justification and then comes sanctification. And Martin Luther actually talks about this. This is a quote from Martin Luther. He says, justification and sanctification are related like cause and effect. And from the presence of the effect, we may conclude that the cause is at work. Well, this is exactly right in other words my works aren't going to prove that I don't that I have something that I don't actually have before I have it if I give full faith and or slash allegiance right. to right. God I give my allegiance first and then the works come after it and so justification followed by sanctification work hand in hand but sanctification is always going to come after the justification right.
1: it's a tree and fruit it's a tree and and fruit. Paul's point in Romans eleven, for example, wh- wh- how is it that the branches remain attached? Right. To the, to the trunk by faith. Faith is the juice that holds it together. It, and then the fruit comes out. The branches that aren't fruitful, what happens? Lopped off and thrown into the fire. Right. I yeah, mean, that's
0: the, One of the reasons that I see allegiance to be such a helpful term is because we see allegiance as faith working first. And then the sanctification as the, the uh, evidence of that allegiance. In other words, if I say that I have allegiance to a king, but then I continue to try to uh, mount an, a, a coup against that king, or I continue to do things that he ha- against what he has commanded, I continue to fight him, I continue to go against him, what does that mean? I haven't made true allegiance to him. The allegiance right. that I that I gave was by mouth only. It's action that proves the allegiance. That's the point. I love
1: this. I love this in Luke five. There's the man who is par- the paralytic and the, the I think there's four guys trying to bring him in and they can't get into Yeshua. They're right. trying to get through the crowd. Right. So what do they do? They go up, they they go up onto the roof and, and lower they him through, yeah. Break a- through the roof and they lower him down on the stretcher. And what is it that says in Luke five twenty? Seeing their faith, seeing their pistis. He said, "Friend, your sins are forgiven." Seeing their pistis, right? But that that's just that's a perfect example. That's yeah. a perfect example. Their faith; the, the, they were bound and determined to get next to Yeshua, and they persevered through different obstacles to the point where they did something that was socially totally unconventional right unconventional like you're gonna break through someone's house like the roof like they didn't it was like doesn't matter we're getting our buddy in front of Yeshua <laughs> you know what I mean it's like that was it right and Yeshua it's, it must have been genuine faith because Yeshua it says Yeshua saw it right like if if it wasn't real if they were hypocrites it, Yeshua would have seen hypocrisy
0: I, I think that the ultimate point here is that even within the, what I mean, the reformers believed in sanctification fully, I think even more than people today in many ways. In other words, they, the life that was lived unto God was a stringent life of holiness. And people were, I mean, if we look at cultural even then, uh, the cultural norms back then, they seemed to be dictated more by a allegiance to Christ in many cases over what we would see today in the church, I should say, in the church. Um, And so the idea that we have to separate any kind of works from, and when I say works, I mean sanctification, any kind of sanctification, we we have to just take that out of the equation totally. That's not what sola fide means. Sola day is, is meaning that we are justified because of something that God has done. And I totally agree with that. Faith is a gift. God calls us to him. And it is, he gives us faith. That's a gift. And that is what justifies us. Works are the, uh, the, the fruit of that, that prove that the faith was true. And how can we wrap that all up into one word? Allegiance. That's what I, that's why I think that the term is helpful uh, personally.
1: Right. Right. And, and here's a, a, just one other point um, that I wanted to make that pertain to the email. And I think I'm, I'm grateful a for the question that brought us to look at the book a couple of weeks ago and then also or last week, whenever it was. And then the follow up is that w- w- when you look at James's citation, he gives two examples Of what he says, justification by works, he gives Abraham and Rahab. For Abraham, he talks about the offering of Isaac, what we learn about in Genesis 22, and for Rahab, it's hiding the spies in Jericho in the walls or in the roof of Jericho um, at the conquering, you know, when in the days of Joshua, and that's in the beginning of the book of Joshua. And he says, "See, their faith." produced works it wasn't just it wasn't just an idea it was something they actually changed their behavior you know they behaved right. according to it they were all in and that that is reckoned as righteousness is what they were that's it they're justified by their by their works and it's important to remember that both the offering of isaac and rahab hiding the spies are in the bigger list of hebrews 11 Right. Where it says, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Rahab hid the spies. In other words, James is just picking two of the things that are already called by faith in Hebrews 11. And he's unpacking them saying, look, you can't separate works from faith. Right. Now, here's where the snag is. And this might be the problem that Luther had between reconciling the language we find in James from the language we find in Paul. Paul uses the word works of the law and says you're not justified by works. What Paul means by works, he's not talking about things like the akidah or or the hiding of the spies or anything that has to do with obedience to God. Paul would say no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jewish community rules right. that are man-made. That people says you need to be one of us, or you're not righteous, or you're not really a son of Abraham unless you adopt this halacha over against that halacha, in the nature of first century Jewish sectarianism. What Paul is trying to use, works, in those talking about that world because that's the word used in Qumran. That's that, I think that just makes the best sense. It's it, they called it works, and we we see it. It's used later in the rabbinic material. Um, Paul's talking about Jewish sectarianism that says insider outsider um, based on man-made rules, traditions of men and Jews judging other Jews because of man-made rules. Okay, And that's, and that's the difference between complete, Paul and James.
0: I completely agree with you. We could also talk about the word dogma that, that is used uh, twice. Paul uses the word dogma as well. But the point is, uh, one of the points that needs to be made very quickly is that I don't believe, and Rob does not believe, that we can do anything to gain our salvation. There's no work that I can do that's going to make God love me more. We are not. Or just, make you more
1: righteous. Yeah.
0: We are not justified by, by uh, the works that we do, or by keeping the Torah, or by Sabbath observance, or anything like that. So don't hear, please don't hear us say that uh, w- you know you can earn your salvation in some way. That is not what we are saying. Uh, and if that's what you think that we're saying, you need to go back and listen again. Okay, uh, let's move on to this email that was uh, given. I have uh, two points, three paragraphs that I want to address here. So this is by Lauren. She wrote us an email. She says, "My concern, and this is in uh, this is in response to our talking about this very subject. She says, "My concern, I don't happen to th- uh, think that salvation is by allegiance or that final salvation is based on a person's continued allegiance. These ideas can lead to the belief that salvation is by works. I also think he's being too novel with the idea that pistis should be translated as allegiance. okay. Let's back
1: to Bates, referring to Matthew Bates. Yeah, book, yeah.
0: back to Bates' uh, book. First of all, uh, if when I read Bates' fourth chapter, it's very clear that what he's saying, that, that the uh, examples that he gives are not only in uh, non-canonical literature, but also within Scripture. There are times that the word pistis is clearly a reference to allegiance. Clearly. Uh, and I don't think, so the comment that I also th- think he's being too novel with the idea that pistis should be translated as allegiance. I'm sorry, the evidence is weighed against you, he- heavily weighed against you. Because there are obviously times where the word pistis does mean allegiance, both biblically and non-biblically. So it's, he's not being novel in this. He's, he takes instances where it clearly means allegiance. That's what this word can mean. If you look up in a, you know, in a dictionary, you have multiple different uh, translations of w- what a word can ma- mean. Pistis, one of them is one of the translations can be faith, and one of them can be allegiance, among other things. But the, this is not a novel idea that that Bates is putting forward. So right there, we have we're starting off a little bit, not quite on the right foot.
1: All but any but he does know to say salvation by allegiance alone he it, admittedly he's trying to create a catchy title right because he's using of course solo fide as and say I'm gonna kind of poke right where it hurts there
0: well I mean it's a brilliant title because people yeah. say wait what
1: and then they'll at least pick it up. And they'll then at least pick at it up, or right, yeah.
0: So, but the the point is, is that he's not trying to force this word to mean something that it doesn't mean. the The meaning is already the the meaning already has this word. In other words, faith and allegiance are both translations of this word. All he's doing is taking the the translation of allegiance and placing it into specific verses within the within the uh, the Bible. Now, here's the thing. In her first comment, she says, I don't happen to think that salvation by allegiance or that final salvation is based on the person's continued allegiance. Okay, stop right there. Let's talk about this for a second. The thing is, is that for me, what we need to do is look at the Bible. In other words, it doesn't matter how I feel about the idea that pistis can mean allegiance. Let's look at the Bible and see what the context actually says. And then we'll work from the Bible outwards. My personal... My personal conviction and or my personal thought on what the Bible should say, and she's going to actually reference this below, has nothing to do with whether or not the Bible actually says something or not. What we need to do is look at what the Bible actually says, what the intention of the author was, and what the words that the author uses are intended to mean. And then from there, we can try to figure out what that means for our doctrine and so on. So, uh the idea that this might be, you know, sketchy or whatever, well, the question is not whether or not it's sketchy theology. The question is, does the Bible actually use it this way? And the answer is, yeah, it does. So now we have to actually reconcile that with the Bible. And I don't think that it's a problem. I don't think that we, you know, I don't think that there is any any problem in in uh, translating it this way. She goes on. Do you want to stop and say anything about that before we no, move go ahead, on? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, towards the end of the email, she says this. She says, and then I'll pass this over to you. I don't know if you have the email in front of you. I'm sure that there's things you want to talk about. She says, Caleb seemed to agree with Bates' translation of Romans 3. But in addition to Bates's re- uh, repurposed version of the passage, I don't think it's repurposed. I think that what Bates is trying to do is say, can we use the term allegiance here? And would this make more sense than faith? So I don't think that's repurposed. I think he's... Asking a genuine question about the language itself. But she says, Caleb exchanged the preposition of with to. And then she quotes me, the righteousness of God through the allegiance of Jesus the Christ. Or should it be to Jesus Christ for all who give allegiance? End quote of me. Now back to Laura. She says, if we translate words to match our preferred theology, that translation becomes an interpretation. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. The reason that I said or should it be two is because the Greek is ambiguous. So this is not me trying to retranslate something into a preferred theology. I'm trying to be honest with the text something that your English translation does not do. You don't know from the English translation whether or not it should be two or of. So uh, before we make uh, allegations that I am attempting to translate some, change words to translate something according to my preferred theology, please stop for a second and do a little research. The reason I, I stopped and made the or should it be too is because this is what the Greek could be. This has nothing to do with my preferred interpretation. I. I don't have a dog in the race when it comes to Bates and his book. What I'm trying to figure out is whether or not this is a good translation or not. She goes on, don't you think that we sometimes have to wrestle with an ambiguous, difficult, yet uh, ambiguous slash difficult, uh, yet properly translated text? I absolutely do, which is why I have, this is why we're wrestling with this text. And this is why I said, or should it be too? She goes on, we shouldn't change it to make it fit our interpretation. I completely agree with you. So which one are you going to take? To Laura, my question would be, okay, we shouldn't change it. So are you going to take of or to in that passage according to the Greek translation? And how are you going to parse that? That's what I think Bates is doing. He jumps from faith to faithfulness and finally lands on the novel Allegiance. You can think that, but the uh, Greek itself would disagree with you. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead, Rob. Do you have any uh, thoughts on it?
1: I want to just throw a different verse into here from Romans. Romans fifteen eight says, "For I say that Christ, Messiah, has become became a servant of the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises to the fathers." for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. And then as it is written, and it has a bunch of Bible citations. This, this for me, even though the word pistis is not used in this particular verse, Romans 15, 8, this is describing Yeshua's faithfulness. Yeshua came and did precisely what He what the mission was. He didn't, you know, he didn't come up short. He didn't do too much. He didn't do too little. He did it precise obedience to the Father, and that is the that in my view. Back to let me go back to our Romans two passage. Was It's Romans two, right? That we're looking at.
0: Uh, Um, Romans three is what she Laura references Romans three.
1: So there's. And that's, there's, uh, faith is used a couple different times in this this Romans 2 and Romans 3. Um, So there's times where faithfulness, in my view, the faithfulness of Yeshua is an acceptable way to understand it. But allegiance to Yeshua and Yeshua's own faithfulness to fulfilling the, the promises are are inextricable right they're right. they're of the same stuff our we don't have independent life right if we if we're died and with messiah and we're risen with him then it's that's his resurrection life that we're that we benefit from just like paul writes that in galatians 2 it's not he says well i live but it's not really me it's messiah who lives in me well what's the messiah what's he's talking about messiah living in him that's that's yeshua's resurrection life which is composed of Yeshua's faithfulness and our the gift of, if you want to call it, faith in him or allegiance to him. I think those are both acceptable, but I think Caleb and I are both in agreement that allegiance provides a little bit of beef, right? A little bit of uh, highlight and adds a little gravity to the side of that obedience is expected. Right? I mean, in other words, it, it looks like something fruit, genuine faith produces the fruits of the Spirit, produces obedience to God. And so when we're talking about salvation by allegiance, I, I think of well, the way I hear that is not salvation by works in a negative way. I hear it salvation by fruit producing faith.
0: Right. And, and one of the reasons that I think that uh, the term allegiance is actually uh, very uh, very uh, attractive throughout the biblical narrative is because, uh, and this might sound like a, a rabbit trail, but give me just a few seconds on this. Within biblical scholarship, Meredith Klein, Dr. Uh, Daniel Block, others have uh talked a lot about, and even my father, my father wrote his, uh, his master's thesis on Covenant of Grant. And what all three of these different scholars have done is they've shown, uh, they've talked about suzerain vassal treaties. Now, in our modern time, we have people who deny Trinitarian theology and or the deity of the Messiah and try to say, oh, it's because a- Yeshua is an agent of the father. And so this gets into the Arian view of agent theology. And basically what this, I'll bring this back in just a second, but basically what this does is it says that uh, the 14th, 15th century BCE documents of the Suzerain Vassal Treaties actually is what God uh, modeled the, the, uh, the first covenant with Israel after and then uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Okay. So whether or not we believe that or not, there is good evidence that, the, that Deuteronomy actually follows the structure of a suzerain-vassal treaty. And what the suzerain-vassal treaty was, a suzerain would come in, he'd take over land, and then he'd put up a vassal. This was like an underling that would rule in his stead while he wasn't there. A in, local
1: leader. A yeah. local
0: leader. And what those who deny the Trinity and those who deny the deity of the Messiah have tried to say is, oh, see, look, Yeshua is the, uh, the vassal. And the father is the suzerain. So Yeshua is just a, he's just an underling. He's not really God. He's not really yod heh vav he, But he's given the name yod heh because he has that amount of power over this earth. The problem with this is, is that throughout the scriptures, and Chris Tilling, Dr. Chris Tilling, shows this very well in his book called Paul's Divine Christology. What uh, the problem with this is, is that the Bible does not set Yeshua up as the vassal. It sets Israel up as the vassal, and it shows that Yeshua is the suzerain. He's the great king, and so when we bring in this word, pistis, right. he's the
1: one that goes away and leaves people in charge,
0: right? Right, Israel. Right. Israel is in charge to try to take the Torah to the nations and and show the kingdom of God, and implement the kingdom of God on earth. And it's but then what happens? The vassal comes back, and he rules. He rules the land and That's the entire a, world. Yeah. And the point is, is that when we all of a sudden think of in terms of this, which I think that the Bible is, it talks about this quite a lot, and Yeshua being this suzerain king, this great king, when we think about this and then we use the word allegiance, all of a sudden we bring the word allegiance, the English word allegiance in, and say that actually this has been in the Bible the whole time, and that the word pistis can mean allegiance. It actually does fit very well with the theme of the Bible that Yeshua is, in fact, this vassal king that is coming to rule. Well, this is a, this ties in with Pistis. And I don't
1: remember if Bates cites this, but in Luke 18, 8, and it says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find Pistis on the earth? Right. To me, are we going to call that faith? I mean, translations like the NASB When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, okay, but could it mean allegiance? Will he find people who have held their post, Right. right? Will he find servants that are ready to receive him and say, we've been waiting, here you go, you know? Come on in, etc. Or are they gonna? Are you gonna find servants that you know that are drunk and beating each other and eating all the storehouse? You know, right.
0: so yeah. This was actually when I—I I don't know how many people saw the debate that I did uh, with Sean on uh, growing a Messiah. But this was one of the real frustrating points for me is that he brought up he brought up uh, uh, like servant you know, uh, servitude from Yeshua to the Father. He brought up this, you know, this concept. And I tried to bring up the Suzerain Vassal Treaties. He had no clue what I was talking about. And so, you know, he's able to try to work within his, struct- his own structure anyway. Uh, that was very frustrating. The point is, is that I think that the word allegiance actually, and it's not necessarily, it is not necessarily whether or not this works in English. Because that's not the question that I'm trying right, to ask.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: The question we're not, is:
1: We're not suggesting changing the Greek text.
0: <laughs> yeah. The question is: Is when a when a, a, a Greek speaking person in the first century hears the word "pistis," what are they thinking? What does this bring to mind? And I think that very possibly allegiance was one of the things that it often brought to mind. Not I, and I, faith. I
1: absolutely agree.
0: And faithfulness and faith. You know, somebody asked in the in the chat room, "What's the difference between faith and allegiance?" It's a great question, and I think that uh, I think that especially in the first century, these these terms, the way that we use them in English, we we go to one of these three ideas or concepts. But the point is, is that in the first century, that's not what happened. It was kind of a mingling of all. So that's another
1: passage I think I think Bates does cite this, like in Luke six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Right. So in in other words, there's yes, the Lordship of Yeshua must there's expectations. It looks like something. It it has shape, it has form, there are boundaries, there are deal breakers, right? I mean it's it's covenant shaped life and
0: well clearly faith can't clearly clearly faith cannot simply mean belief the the demons know of christ they know of god the father right they and and they tremble and they certainly believe that he's there i mean that's that's not faith
1: right that's not saving faith exactly right so it's a it's a good discussion. And the very fact that people wonder about, well, how do I reconcile James with Paul means that even in the first century, these words had nuance that they needed to clarify. And so, as we know, words don't have meaning. Meaning has, has words. Exactly.
0: It's been a good conversation, all. Uh, we really appreciate all of the the um even if it's even if you guys disagree, whoever it is out there, if you're thinking to yourself, "Man, I so disagree with these guys," I can't stand. Or you these think guys. that
1: that uh, commentary is the greatest thing?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know? it does I mean uh, we base this show around what comments and criticisms and all those kind of things we get? Because basically, what we're trying to do in this show is just talk about different theological concepts and whatnot. Um, obviously, we're going to present what we believe. Sure, sure. And
1: Um, and we desire to be helpful to you in your own studies.
0: Right. So um, with all of that said, please keep the comments coming, keep the emails coming, keep the phone messages coming. We listen to every single, I listen to every single phone message that comes in. I send most of them to Rob as well. Uh, We read every email that comes in and uh, we read pretty much every YouTube comment that comes in as well. So um, uh, we appreciate it. Keep them coming. And I don't know what in the world we're talking about next week, but I think that next week we will be back for another show. Uh, uh, yeah. And we, hope and I we... think
1: we had a Messiah matters more this week. We had,
0: we did. Too. Uh, yeah. There's a Messiah matter more Messiah matters more, uh, video up in the, uh, supporters area. Go check it out. Uh, it was done on the fly and may, and usually we're doing these videos now on Mondays or Tuesdays. So they're usually out right. Like the day before our show. So for our supporters, check those out. All right. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Savior Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, Because Messiah Matters.